following message was recorded live at Three Strands Church. We hope it will bless you, encourage you, and challenge you in your journey of faith. We'd love to pray for you or answer any questions you have. Message us at threestrands.church slash contact. Desmond Dawson is one of the most dedicated and most renowned U.S. soldiers our country has ever seen. He grew up in Lynchburg, Virginia, where his, uh, he had a small family of his mom, his dad, and his brother. His dad actually had served in World War I, where he saw very, a, a lot of tragic things. A lot of his friends went with him, and he was the only one to return. And obviously, this, this affects a person a lot, and he left with PTSD, And when his father came home, Desmond's father came home with PTSD, he became very angry and an alcoholic. And he actually started to abuse his wife, Desmond, and his brother. He took a lot of that anger out on them. It got to the point where Desmond's uncle actually came over one day and got in an altercation with his father. And they got to the point where his father drew a gun on his uncle. And Desmond saw all of this and was worried about what was going to happen. His mother jumped right in between his father and his uncle and stopped the altercation. Desmond looked to the left and saw a picture on the wall, and it had the Ten Commandments. And one of the commandments was, Thou shalt not kill. And there was also another picture of Cain and Abel. And he thought to himself, how close that just almost happened right in front of him. So he vowed from that day forward to never touch a gun. To never take a life. And so life went on uh, for a while until World War II broke out. And Desmond was working at a naval shipyard at this point and and could have... uh, taken a deferment not to go to the war. But instead, he was actually helping somebody to get to the hospital one day, and he actually met a nurse who later became his fiance and his wife. And she got him very interested into the medical field. And so he started to think, I could go to this war to serve my country and be a medic. So he told his fiance and his family this. Of course, his dad was very angry because he didn't want any of his sons to go to war. And so he signed up. Uh, he, he chose. It was his call to still go to the military. So he went and signed up for the army, for the rifle battalion. Now, he didn't want the rifle battalion, obviously, because he didn't want to use a rifle. But he has a right to not use a rifle. There's, there's rights for us so that we can join the military if we have a religious belief that we can't touch a rifle. And so he signed up with that. And he got sent to basic training. And of course, when he showed up, he was part of this rifle battalion. And he, and he was explaining to his superior officers, hey, I'm not going to be touching a rifle. And obviously, they're going to be confused. Like, they don't understand. Why would you not be touching a rifle? You're in a rifle company. And so they started to get angry at him. And then the other men around him, as we know in the military, they rely on one another. And so the other men around him realize they're about to get shipped off to war. 
And this guy is not willing to pick up a gun to help protect them. So, of course, they all get angry at him. They start harassing him. Some even give him death threats. They do not want him in this battalion. The superior officers actually go above to the higher ranking officers and ask for him to be removed, dishonorably discharged for not obeying orders. But his rights were protected. He did not have to touch a rifle due to his religious beliefs. He was bold in his faith. He stuck through that basic training, even though men would throw boots at him at night, would beat him up, and even send death threats to him each night. But he fought through because he knew he had a greater calling. He knew he needed to serve his country. So eventually, they get shipped off to Guam after finishing basic training. The intense fighting of the Japanese are there, and he, he is helping do his medical tasks around. But he was told to stay back and help at the medical tents. But in fact, he, Desmond said, well, I can't help somebody who's wounded out on a recon mission if I'm back at a tent. So he started to go out with his company. They, he started to go out at night, and if anybody got wounded, he was right there ready to help them. And those same men that were harassing him, that were giving him death threats, even the captain who tried to push him out of the military started to change their opinion on him. Because he was willing to run through bullets flying by to save their life. And Desmond even said, hey, uh, I, I can't imagine Jesus running through a battlefield with a rifle, but I can imagine him with a medical kit. And so he continued on with his company, serving them while being bold with his faith. Today, I want to look at how we can become bold with our faith. First, we're going to look at what do we share. In other words, the the good news, the gospel. What is the gospel? We're going to look at that. Second, we're going to look at the main reasons that hold us back from sharing the gospel, being bold with our faith. And third, we're going to look at ways to combat against those ways that hold us back from sharing the gospel. But first, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, if you have your Bibles. And and this says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am always with you, even to the ends of the earth. Now, Jesus is commissioning each and every one of us with something. He's speaking to the disciples at this moment. He's saying, you go out and tell everybody about me and about God. Tell everybody what I have done. Now, this is right after Jesus had resurrected, and we'll get back to that here in just a minute. But he's commissioning the disciples, go out and teach others and live life with them. In other words, discipling them to understand what it means to share the good news. So he is also speaking to each and every one of us. We are all called to go out and share the good news. What is the good news? What is the gospel? For that, we have to back up to Genesis 1, and we catch up with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were the first two people on the earth. 
and, there was, and God had created a garden for them to roam around. And there was one rule. They can't eat from the, from the tree of knowledge of evil, good and evil. They couldn't eat from that. Now, Satan, our enemy, had disguised himself as a serpent and, and went to Eve and said, it's not that bad if you really try the fruit. It's okay if you do it. Did God really say that you had to not do that? And he tempted Eve, who did fall into temptation, and who also led Adam to fall into temptation as well. They disobeyed God, and therefore sin entered the world. What is sin? Sin is simply disobeying what God says and going the opposite way. And when sin entered the world, death also entered the world. That means Adam and Eve would also die. And all of us know we will all die one day. So once Adam and Eve had sinned, now death has entered the world. So we are in need of a Savior. We are all broken. We have no way to get to heaven without a Savior. At this point, when death entered the world, it was either nothing or hell. There was nothing. We have to have a, we have to have a Savior. And so, continuing on through the Old Testament, there's prophets prophesying for this Messiah to come, to die on a cross in place of us for our sins. So fast forward to the New Testament, Jesus is born of a virgin Mary, the Son of God, fully man but fully God. Why he was fully man, he understood what we went through. He suffered like we suffered, but he was fully God, so he never messed up. He never sinned. And he, we went to fishermen and, and tax collectors and asked them to follow him, and they did. And he started discipling them, teaching them what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And, and he kept on teaching them. Eventually, it got to the point where he was saying, it is about time for me to go. And of course, the disciples didn't really fully understand what this meant because they were living it in the present tense. We're reading it from the past tense. So we see what happens to Jesus, but, we don't, but the disciples just don't fully understand it yet. And, there, and Jesus is explaining this to them. And later we'll get to one of the disciples actually betrays Jesus and Jesus is taken to, through the Jewish leaders to Pilate, the, the governor at this point. And, and he, the Pilate offers Jesus or Barabbas to be crucified. Barabbas is a murderer who was on trial. And Pilate offers, it's either Barabbas or Jesus. You guys get to choose. And the crowd chose Jesus. And Jesus was then whipped and then given a crown of thorns that was placed on his head. And he was given his cross that he would have to carry up onto the hill where he would later die. And Jesus died later on that cross with nails in his hands and nails in his feet. He had died in place of us for our sins. Now this, of course, doesn't mean anything unless he comes back to life. And so a Joseph, a rich man, asked uh, Pilate, can I have the body of Jesus to properly bury it? So he got the body of Jesus, put it in a nice tomb, and put a stone in front of it. Now the Jewish leaders knew, hey, his, his followers may try to uh, get the body and say he resurrected. So they put two Roman guards in front of the tomb. It was guarded. Nobody could move the body. 
But three days later, the stone was moved away. Jesus had resurrected. He was and is the Messiah. He died in place of you for your sins that you have committed. So that way we have hope. So that way we have a gift of eternal life with him one day. Each and every one of us is given a gift that we can have. And we didn't do anything to earn it. Jesus is just handing this out to each and every one of us. And we don't deserve it. And the thing is, in Matthew 28, going back to it, Jesus commissions us to go out and make disciples. But so often, so many of us take the gift that Jesus gives us and then we stop. Once we receive the Holy Spirit, once we get the gift, we do not continue what Jesus commissioned us to do. We don't go out and share the gospel. In fact, we barely talk about Jesus throughout the week. Because we're good, we got the gift. So what are three main reasons that hold us back from sharing the gospel? The first one, write this down. The first one is selfishness. Selfishness. Now, going back to the story of Jesus being betrayed, the the disciple, one of his followers who was following him, was named Judas Iscariot. And he, again, was doubtful of Jesus, and he didn't know if Jesus is the real Messiah or not. He still doubted him like everybody else did. And so he took this opportunity to look for a way for this whole situation with Jesus to benefit him. So he went behind Jesus' back and found the Jewish leaders and asked, what could I get if I turn Jesus into you? What could I get, like... How much money could you give me? And the Jewish leaders say, we could give you 30 pieces of silver. Judas is like, let's go. That's a good deal. Like, if I could get some money, if this guy truly isn't the Messiah, I'm getting some cash out of it. Very selfish-minded thinking. And many of us are sitting here today thinking, well, I wouldn't betray Jesus. Like, I'm not, I'm not selfish-minded. But it would be very interesting if you had 10 closest people around you given a piece of paper that said selfish living or God-fearing living, two boxes, what would they check? Would they check selfish living or would they check God-fearing living? See, so many of us are willing to be like, well, I I go to church, I go to life group, but God, you can't touch my weekend. I'm still going to go drink. I'm still going to go party. I'm going to go do whatever I want to do because it's my life. I'm still going to have fun. I'm going to get the new job because it makes more money even though you don't want me there. Because it's what makes me happier. It's what puts me in better situations. That's what I'm focused on. And here's here's the dangerous thing. When we have a selfish mindset, when thinking through about the gospel, our mindset starts to shift that we were owed that gift. That I earned that gift that Jesus died on the cross for. And when, when we 
choose to have that selfish mindset, you better believe you're not going out to share that with anybody because you feel like you deserve the gift anyway. You, you don't want to give it to anybody else. It's yours. And so you, you will not find somebody who is selfish-minded spreading the gospel. And sometimes it's hard to recognize that. And we'll look at a way to combat that here in just a minute. Second way, write this down, is self-doubt or self-worth. Self-doubt, self-doubt or self-worth. This is another key reason that holds us back from sharing the gospel. I just don't know about, I just don't know enough about the Bible. Uh, I, I don't know if they will judge me if I try to talk about Jesus with them. Uh, they get really mad if I bring up Jesus around them. Um, I, I just don't have time to like study God's word. So I'm just going to let somebody else do that. I, I'm just going to bring them to church this Sunday. So that way they can learn what the gospel is rather than me taking the time. Because I just don't understand it anyway. So turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. And that says, Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say and the way you live in your love, your faith, and your purity. Now this is Paul speaking directly to Timothy, who is a young pastor at that time. And Paul is telling him, this is so good because Paul is recognizing, even as Timothy being young, as humans, we, we will combat, or like we will struggle with the minds and we will struggle with the thoughts in our head that will tell us that we're not enough, that will tell us that we can't share the gospel because we don't know enough or, or they don't like us enough or, or it's just going to get awkward. Paul understands like our thoughts are so powerful. And then on top of that, people's comments are more powerful too. Because if they start asking you questions and you don't know, then they start questioning if you, if you are even a follower. And Paul's saying, don't worry about that. You need to focus on the mission. Focus on getting those thoughts out of your head. And we'll come back to more ways to combat self-doubt in just a minute. And finally, write this one down. The third main reason that holds us back from sharing the gospel is our community. And you may ask, like, how is, how is the community around me affecting how I share the gospel? Multiple ways. Turn with me to John chapter 20, verse 19. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Jesus was, oh, suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. So this is right after Jesus had died on the cross. He hasn't resurrected yet. And we, see, we find the disciples behind locked doors. See, as a community, yes, they were following, they were trying to follow Jesus the best they could, but they were all fearful. So they were all headed to they all headed to a place where they wouldn't be looked at. They headed to a place behind locked doors so nobody had to question them. A place that they weren't seen. 
They were, they were okay guys. They were good guys. But they, their community was like pushing towards Jesus. But in the moment, they were afraid. And so we see from this passage that our community affects in what way we are going. So today, if your community is sitting around you to here, then it's probably a healthy community. But if most of your community is not even going to any church, not ever plugging into a life group, in fact, you only hang out with them at that party, or, or the coworkers meet you at the bar after work, and all they're doing is pulling you away from Jesus, then they are not encouraging you to share the gospel. It's so easy to, be, to have friends that don't push towards Jesus. And when, and when we have those type of friends that aren't pushing towards Jesus, they are definitely not going to help you study God's word to help you grow closer to him and help you go out and share the gospel. Our community affects us in so many different ways. But what are the three ways we can combat each of those? Now, we're going to stick with the disciples, and we're going, to, we're going to stay in Acts for the rest of the time. We're going to be in Acts 3 and 4. And we're going to look at two main disciples, Peter and John, and we're going to see what they do within this story to combat each and every one of those main reasons that hold us back. And so to give you an idea of what's happening, Peter and John are heading to the temple to pray. So first of all, let's just pause there for a second. Jesus had resurrected. And so he appeared back in John 20, verse 19. He appeared to them. So the disciples were able to touch the holes in his hands to see that Jesus was real and Jesus was alive. Actually, later in the New Testament, 500 people witnessed Jesus alive after his death. Something switched with the disciples. Why? Because they had evidence right in front of them. Remember, they were behind locked doors. Now they're heading to the temple where who hangs out? The Jewish leaders. So they're headed to the temple to pray right in front of everybody there. They could all see them. And while they're walking there, these men are carrying this guy who has been lame for, since he was uh, young. And they always put this guy next to the door. So that way he could beg for money. And, and so Peter and John are walking, walking towards the temple. And we'll see them interact here. Turn with me to Acts chapter 3, verse 4 and six, four through 6. And Peter and John looked at him intently. And Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. And so Peter and John tell him, get up and walk in Jesus' name. And we see the man gets up. His ankles are strengthened, and he is able to walk. That's pretty bold. From going from locked doors to now praying for somebody in front of someone, saying in Jesus' name, get up and walk. Notice what they're doing, though. They're using the evidence that they had witnessed 
in order to combat against the self-doubt that they were struggling with. They didn't know if they were good enough to go out and share the gospel. They didn't know if, they, if Jesus was even going to uh, come back to life. They didn't know any of that. They struggled with it. They doubted in their mind. And then they saw the evidence. Jesus was alive. And so how do we, in our daily lives today, combat against our self-doubts of saying, I don't know enough, or what if, what if that relationship gets like, offended? What if they get offended by me bringing this up? And simply, we have evidence just as the disciples did. We have the living Word of God. And so what we need to do is we need to go in and study it. And if we don't understand it, that's when we are called to have other people disciple us and to come alongside of us and help us learn what it actually means to follow Jesus. And then when you start reading in the living Word of God, you'll be so focused on caring about other people, you won't care if your friend gets offended because you're too worried about where they will go eternally. Using our evidence to combat our self-doubt and our self-worth. That's what the disciples did here. And Peter and John actually take this opportunity. They just keep getting bolder and bolder here. They take this opportunity. They start teaching in front of everybody in the temple. Telling them about God. Being bold here. The same guys who were behind the locked door a little bit ago. And so, of course, as they're teaching, the Jewish leaders hear about this. So they run outside, and they, get, they bring the temple guard, and they arrest them immediately. They bring them inside. And so now we're into Acts chapter 4. Turn with me to Acts 4, verses 9 through 10. And the, and the temple guard and the Jewish leaders start questioning Peter and John of what just happened in verse 9 and 10. Are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed? For a crippled man, do you want to know how he was healed? Let, let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified. And so right here, the disciples combat selfishness. How? Well, Peter and John could have been like, well, it was because how good I prayed. It was because of how many times I went to church, how many times I, I, I went to life group. My wardrobe is on point today. So, I, you know, that's probably why this guy was healed. I prayed a really good prayer. So that's probably why he was healed. But no, 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 no. They don't say anything like that. They go straight to, it was because of Jesus that he was healed. And so many of us who struggle with selfishness would jump to how many things you did before Jesus did anything. And so we have to work to change our mindset to think Jesus did everything and we're doing everything next. And so how, we, how do we even change that mindset today? What if we don't even recognize we're living a selfish lifestyle? Well, that's where we have to find others around us who know us and ask. 
And something that you could do to combat against that is ask them to simply pray for you. That's one of the best things you could do. A selfish person does not want to go ask for prayer because they think they have it all together. So one of the most selfless things you can do is go ask for that prayer and give all the glory to God. When somebody is being saved and you're presenting the gospel, continue to give the glory to God each and every time. And we see as the Jewish leaders are talking to the disciples, they're trying to figure out what are we going to do with them because clearly they're telling the truth. This man who has been crippled and we walk by him every day is now standing right in front of us. So like, what are we going to do? Because if we arrest them and throw them into jail, then there's going to be a riot because everybody else saw that he was crippled and now he's healed. So clearly this Jesus guy they keep talking about is probably legit. And so the, the Jewish leaders are like, whatever, just let him go. And so th- this is such a cool part. Towards the end of chapter four of Acts, Peter and John go back to their, their uh, fellow followers and they start praying for boldness. They start praying together as a community that they will continue to go out and share the gospel and be faithful to what God has called them to do. So today, if your community is dragging you down, and we have to be honest with ourselves, is my community being positive or or are they just not pushing me in any direction? And if your community is genuine, like pushing you towards Jesus, then they're encouraging you to go out and share the gospel. They're probably sitting with you today. Or they're in another church. And you get together and you talk about how Jesus has imp- impacted you this week. And how, he, how like, good plans we can get together in order to expand the kingdom. Those are the conversations, our community. And like the followers here, they're praying together for boldness. When's the last time your community prayed together for boldness? When's the last time they did that with you? So today you may have to evaluate. You may have to think through, I need to move on from my current community and find some community that's going to pour into me. And I know for me personally, moving uh, to Kentucky and, and working with Dave uh, has challenged me to simply get in front of people and ask the question, do you want to follow Jesus? Because so many of us haven't been asked, and so many of us haven't been in, given the gift from somebody else. Because all those other people, all of us in this room, have struggled with one of those selfishness, self-worth, self-doubt, community around us. We've all struggled with that in the past. And so we have to find that good community. Use our evidence that we have, the holy word. And we have to ask those around us to keep us accountable, to know that we're not 
trying to live our life just for ourselves. Now, Desmond's story didn't end at the islands of Guam. The, the company continued forward to the island of Okinawa. And this is where one of the most famous battles in World War II happened. And some of you may have heard of it. It's called Hacksaw Ridge. And uh, you may have even watched the movie. And Desmond, uh, his company shows up to this ridge and they see that two battalions before them have gone up onto the ridge and have been wiped out. And it was now their turn to go up onto the ridge. They start climbing this 40-foot cargo net up onto the, onto the ridge, and they actually push the Japanese soldiers all the way back to the back of the ridge. And they're able to, and it's becoming nighttime, so they, they dig in for the night. But in the morning, they didn't realize the Japanese soldiers had a bunch of underground tunnels that they were moving troops in all night long. And right when the morning arose, Japanese soldiers flew out of these tunnels, pushed the Americans all the way back off the ridge. But halfway to the point where they were off the ridge, one of the soldiers called in for uh, artillery shelling on top of the ridge. And so the Navy started shooting and, and bombing the, the top of the ridge and pushing the Japanese back. But Desmond, before he went off the ridge, he saw some wounded men. And he saw them and felt bad for them. And he knew it was his job as a combat medic to go save them. And so he went back. He went back towards the enemy started dragging these men one by one to the edge of the, to the cliff. And then in basic training, he learned this special knot that he tied. And he learned if he tied two of them, it would make two loops. He didn't know how beneficial that would be in the future. Because what he started doing is he started lowering each man down off the ridge that night. And of course, he had the, the Navy protecting him with that shelling, and he was able to lower more and more, but eventually the Navy called it off. And, and he had to then move in a stealthy way around the ridge trying to save these men. In fact, there's a journal from a Japanese soldier that said he had Desmond in his sight twice with his sniper rifle, and his gun jammed both times. And we see that Desmond continues for 12 hours lowering men off this ridge with the Japanese soldiers walking around. At the end of it, he had saved 75 men off that ridge. But you know what he was praying the whole time? God, give me one more person. Allow me to save one more person. And after he got off the ridge, his captain came up to him. All the wounded men around him saw him, and they couldn't believe what he had done. But later that night, the captain came back up to him and said, listen, that was, you're a true hero, and all these men look up to you, and we have to go back on that ridge tomorrow. But these men will not go without you. And so Desmond and the men get back up the next morning, and Desmond requests, can I pray before we go up there? 
And the officers still on the ship start calling in saying, you're 10 minutes behind your attack on the ridge. What's happening? And the captain, who's the one who tried to push him out of the army, called back and said, we're not attacking this ridge until Desmond is done praying. Once Desmond was done praying, they go, they get up onto the ridge, they push the Japanese all the way back and make them surrender. Desmond was actually wounded at this part of the battle, and he was being carried away on a stretcher, and he had dropped his Bible, the one Bible that has gotten through, got him through all of World War II. And, he, and he's asking the men carrying him on this stretcher, please go find that Bible if you can. Please do it. The same men who couldn't even stand him went back up onto the ridge where there could still be enemy and looked for that little Bible. And they found it. And they brought it back to him. And so today we see Desmond's bold faith. In the midst of horrific war, Jesus still shined through it all. No matter who persecuted him, he still stuck with Jesus. So today, I ask you, what's holding you back from sharing the gospel? And maybe that was the first time you've heard the gospel Maybe that was the first time you've been offered that gift. Jesus has been standing in front of you with that gift since you've been born. You have the opportunity to take it whenever you want, to have that relationship. But just know, when you take that gift, he commissions us to go tell everybody else about that gift. And I think an amazing prayer that you could start praying today, just like Desmond, in a different way, God, allow me to have the opportunity to, allow, to work through me to save one more, to present the gift of what you've done to one more person because we're not guaranteed tomorrow so we can start praying that prayer today. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, I just pray for strength, God, for boldness for each and every one of these people today. That we're able to go into the world, combat our selfish ways, combat our self-doubt, combat our community that's dragging us down by using the evidence you've given us to using the people around us to help us recognize who we're living for and looking for that community who's going to push us to communicate and share the gospel, God. And just how Desmond prayed, God, I pray that you give us each an opportunity to save one more person, to offer the gift of eternal life to one more person. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. What an amazing challenge from God's Word for all of us. We hope you will start putting everything you've learned in this session into practice. And be sure to subscribe to the 3SC podcast so you'll never miss any new content. Thanks for listening.